Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we've got an update for you about one of the Blister Labs projects that we are working on. And as a reminder, Blister Labs is a collaboration with Blister, Western Colorado University in Gunnison, Colorado, and CU Boulder's engineering program. We launched Blister Labs at the very beginning of 2022. We are currently working on a number of different projects in the areas of skiing, technical apparel, and then what you're going to be hearing about in this conversation, wheel sets. And joining me today to talk about wheel sets and to provide some of our initial results are Greg Vanderbeek, who is an assistant professor of mechanical engineering at CU Boulder and in the partnership program of CU Boulder and Western Colorado University, and Travis Hainsworth, who is the associate director of the computer science department for the CU Boulder and Western Partnership Program. Greg and Travis have both been on Gear 30 before for some very fun conversations and very informative conversations about the earlier days of this project. And so we will include links in the show notes of this episode to those conversations. I strongly encourage you to check them out if you missed them the first time around. And now... Let's talk about fancy squishing machines and get some updates on what the data has been showing us with Greg and Travis. Here we go. Well, I am very happy to be back on Gear 30 talking about Blister Labs with Greg and Travis. So, Greg, we're going to just dive into it here. And why don't you help us with a bit of a kind of macro overview about this particular Blister Labs project that we've been working on. What are we up to? What problem are we trying to solve? Yeah. So depending on how many of the other podcasts you've listened to, you've heard us talk about looking at wheel sets and trying to quantify performance. So Blister does an amazing job of putting a lot of detail into their reviews, but how do those reviews align with, say, like an engineering approach to things, right? We see things as, when I say things, we see systems as responding to, say, forces, or when you load a system in a certain way, what, what can we quantify? What can we measure? So what we've been doing is we've been using high-tech camera systems to put markers all over wheel sets to show how they're moving in XYZ space. We've set up in-lab tests for that. We've also set up tests in like closed course outdoor um, settings where we've done banked turns and drops and rock gardens. So the 30,000 foot approach to this is if we can quantify performance and align that with what Blister Review does and look into wheel sets from a performance standpoint. Travis, how do you do? 
That was phenomenal. The <laughs> idea that we are trying to take something like a mountain bike rim and we just want some numbers and use those numbers to help a consumer choose the right wheel set. And in one of the last conversations that we had on Gear 30 about this project, I believe we were talking about you know some of the things that we talk about off mic, which is that we're really seeing the potential here, maybe not so much to direct consumers to the single best wheel set for them, but to start in a really helpful and I think meaningful way, help people uh, understand what category or what types of wheel sets are likely going to work best for the type of rider they are and the type of riding they're doing. Does that seem right to you, Greg? Yeah, wheels, um, you know, the bike industry has been just killing it lately with all the gear they've been coming out with. And I think that is really exemplified in wheels. And so it's not like there's the best wheel out there, but the idea is what wheel would be right for an individual that rides a certain way, has a certain weight, have even a certain suspension setup. And we've been approaching that, looking at it from the standpoint of, of forces. So you put in a certain load, you're going to see a certain response out of that system. And so how can we set up uh, a series of tests that would be able to give us some quantifiable data that end users, the readers can look at and say, oh, that's why when I rode this wheel set, it felt this way. And I liked this and maybe I didn't like that. So I would like to see you know, a, a wheel set that is in line with that. And so it's kind of just adding addition, it's adding data, I guess, to already in-depth long form reviews. It's putting quantifiable results to some of those long form qualitative things that maybe a lot of the readers are used to. And along these lines, I think one of the interesting things that, uh, I mean, you two correct me if I've got this wrong, I think we will be able to make better, more data-driven conclusions about whether a particular type of rider maybe ought to save some money and go with an aluminum wheel set. Maybe they actually will see the real performance benefits of going with a carbon fiber wheel set or a stiffer wheel as opposed to a less stiff wheel. Uh, and that's where I think we really are now talking about helping people understand how best to spend their dollars, maybe where to save some money. And so maybe that'll help people understand like how this actually gets down to some brass tacks and dollars and cents types of... Uh, information for them. Yeah, there's a lot of things wheel builders can do to change the way a wheel is going to feel. And that's one of the first things that we've learned as we've dove into this process is that you can't just say this is a carbon hoop, this wheel set is going to perform this way or this is an aluminum a hoop, it's going to perform this way. You have so many bells and whistles, so many kind of knobs and buttons that manufacturers can turn. And so it's at this point, it's like, well, well, how, what wheels have you ridden that you like? Uh, what area of a force curve would you be in? And how do you want your wheel to feel under different 
riding conditions because depending on whether you have J pull or straight pull spokes, you know, if you have a 32 lace up or do you have tapered spokes, there's the wheels are a system. And that's one of the first things we've really learned in this process that it's not really carbon fiber versus aluminum or, you know, it's what do these look like these wheels as a whole when they are loaded up. And so that's one of the things we want to report is curves, responses to different loading scenarios. And those different loading scenarios can really be boiled down to how you ride, what obstacles do you ride? Because those are going to give different inputs into the system. And that's what we're trying to quantify with what the work we're doing right now. So, so what are we seeing so far? Yeah, what Craig was just discussing about how aluminum versus carbon fiber isn't the only uh, thing that's going to dictate performance and that it's more the wheel set. This has been very nicely highlighted in some of our initial testing. And the first test that we've done is a quasi-static loading. And essentially what this test is, is we're taking a really fancy squishing machine. We can squish things up to 100 kilonewtons, which I think is like 220,000 pounds. So we can squish things really hard. Squishing machines, it's big. We got a fancy squishing machine <laughs> at that. This isn't just your run-of-the-mill squishing machine. <laughs> yeah. So we put these rims, uh, wheel sets, a whole wheel set, including a tire. We put this in our MTS, our fancy squishing machine, and we're slowly applying a load, a force, and we're measuring a deflection, how much deformation does the rim undergo and so the output of this test if we think about it from a plot we could have on the x-axis how much force 200 pounds 400 pounds 800 pounds and on the y-axis of this plot that we're all building in our head is the deformation which is either in millimeters or inches depending on if you're a proper scientist or not um and, <laughs> and what was surprising to me, and I think surprising to a lot of people on the team, is that carbon fiber wheel sets bracketed the data. So our stiffest rim, the one that deflected the least amount when you pushed really, really hard on it, was carbon fiber. And our softest rim was also carbon fiber. So the one that squished the most when we put a lot of force on it. And this highlight, this wasn't something that I expected, but it highlighted nicely that the com composition, the material that the hoop of a wheel is made out of does not directly state how a wheel set is going to perform and what experience you as a rider are going to get out of it. And there's so much more to it, like a lacing pattern, um, the composition of the carbon fiber. Not every carbon fiber layup uses the same epoxy. Um, so just to say that you're using carbon fiber does not mean you're going to have a stiff or a soft uh, wheel set. There's a lot of different factors that come into it. And that was something that surprised me from our initial results. So then it seems that that is um, nicely problematizing the question of wheels um, and also gives some people room to think like for better or for worse, punchline, it's all not so simple. And so this thing that we led with, which is like, well, should I be upgrading my wheel set again? And every mountain biker, my God, as these things get more and more expensive, we're all asking this question about basically any component on the bike. But 
for somebody out there listening who's like, I'm a passionate rider. I put all my spare money into my bicycle because I love it more than anything. That person who's maybe always buying the most expensive carbon wheels, from what you're seeing, are you like, well, actually an aluminum wheel with a different pattern, lacing pattern, might actually get real close uh, to offering the results that you personally might like. True or false? Are we allowed to answer with maybe? Because (laughs) 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 Because let's let's add some more complexity to it. So Travis talked about quasi static loading, right? So you're talking about loading something slowly, but that's all relative in time. So when would that happen when you're riding? Well, think about a longer G out when you're coming out of something or a banked turn. So that would be in the the grand scheme of how a wheel set would be loaded. That would be a slow uh, loading setup. But there's also impact loading. And that's something that happens all the time when you're riding a mountain bike. And so Travis talked about how a carbon fiber wheel uh, bracketed on each side and you had some aluminums in between there. Well, those aren't the exact same curves that we see when we start dynamically loading things. So there's more to this than say looking at a single curve and saying, well, I'm gonna be roughly here. So this is the distribution of the wheels that I'm looking at. This is the distribution of the, say the stiffness pattern that you would see there's it depends on how you load it and this has actually been documented in other arenas you know aerospace has looked at this and other formats where you know travis made a comment of like what the epoxy was so it's not just even the carbon fiber layup that's going to change things epoxy and the type of epoxy that an that a company uses can change how it responds to rapid loading so something along the lines of impact loading and so looking at kind of just early results, some wheels, uh, wheel sets as a whole, uh, become stiffer, some are a little softer. And so there's just more to the story than looking at a single curve. And so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to digest there, but I think that a lot of this can be uh, displayed in a way where it's like, okay, what are my general uh, kind of the trails that I ride? What am I looking at? And you can kind of wait as a reader, you could, you could wait which one of these curves is more important to you because they're going to look differently overlaid of each other. And this kind of gets us into the whole question that we've been talking about. And, and really on all of our conversations on these projects, it's like, look, turns out these things are in fact complex. And this then starts getting into interesting marketing questions, right? Because Greg, you were just saying like one curve, probably not actually that useful, but often if you go look how new wheel sets are being marketed and positioned, what do we see? These graphs where there's like one curve. And so, you know, uh, I can totally imagine if somebody's listening to this, like, man, what are you doing? Just give me the answer. Like, just tell me what wheel to buy. And it's like, you can do that. I mean, we can like make up that answer. Um, and maybe it's fair to say sometimes that's actually how the bike industry and ski industry works. But if we're really trying to get to accuracy, then we're going to have to go through these different levels of complexity 
and see if we can go through all that and on the other side, come out with helpful conclusions, suggestions, sort of spectrums for recommendations and the like. Yeah? Agreed. I mean, riders know the trails that they prefer and they traditionally ride those trails. And so one of the things that we're looking into doing that could be helpful with this is taking the field test data that we've had. So we built a closed course, uh, rock garden, rock drop, bank turn, just some of your most common features. And we put markers all over these wheels, took different riders, you know, different skill levels, and we started riding these. And we're seeing different force patterns from those. So you may not have one single graph that is able to showcase or highlight this answer, but through a series of questions of saying, you know, this is my rider weight, this is my rider type, these are the type of trails that I like to ride, you will get a pretty decent answer or at least a, a range of what forces uh, would I put into a wheel set. And then you could take that information and that could be overlaid with uh, one of the, several of these graphs showing how wheels response under different loading scenarios. And you could look at this and say, all right, um, for a lot of flow trails, I'm going to, you know, this is where I would be. And, you know, if I'm going to be ping ponging down a rock garden, you know, I'm going to maybe be a little more heavy, uh, leaning towards the graph that is displaying impact loading. So there can be some insight, uh, to this where it's not 30 graphs you're looking at, but maybe a handful that could just kind of help quantify, uh, and, 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 you know, kind of help you wade through this uh, kind of murky picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe not 30 graphs, but maybe not also <laughs> one graph, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of the work here, like figuring out wh which graphs and, and which measurements are looking to be the most meaningful, especially then when laid up against what some of our bike testers are finding to be true out on the trail. And that's one of the challenges, right? If we, you can have more and more data. You can always add more data. You can always do more graphs, but it's like, how do you glean uh, some of the most pertinent or the most salient points from a broad research? And that's one of the things that we are going to continue to work on is how best to communicate this information because too much information is useless too little information doesn't give you the full picture so it's really like where is that that nice middle ground where you're adding enough information to the overall discussion where you're you're giving some insight but you're also not making it so complex that it starts to feel useless i like that the way i would put it maybe greg is too much information is useless too little information is a lie <laughs> i like that yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, I'll you take it. Feel free to use that. So I'd love to hear just a bit more about the latest results, kind of initial thoughts on this. I will refrain from calling this the dreaded, you know, um, current conclusions, initial conclusions. <laughs> we won't use the C word here. Um, but um, I know you guys have been working with students like literally today up right until recording this. What are some of those most recent conversations uh, or freshest challenges looking like? One of the results that we're seeing, so yeah, we're no, no conclusions, but thinking about this from the quantitative numbers point of view, uh, Greg mentioned that we have an impact testing device. So this impact testing device complements the quasi-static squish machine where we're taking a heavy 
fancy object and now we're dropping it on the rims and measuring how much they deform. And so one of the more recent results that I think is really interesting to look at is for one of our wheel sets, if you apply 600 pounds slowly, so our quasi-static fancy squish machine, if you apply 600 pounds slowly, we get a deformation in the rim of 0.035 inches. But when we drop something on the object, um, so faster loading, that same 600 pounds now results in 0.06 inches of deformation. Um, so both of these cases, there's at a moment in time, 600 pounds being applied to the rim and we're getting almost twice the twice the displacement. And to clarify, this isn't, so when, if we think about force, you might think that if you take like a 20 pound bowling ball and you hold that and you drop it on your foot from like an inch, that hurts a little bit. But if you drop it from a foot, it hurts a lot of it. Um, so to clarify, we're not dropping a 600 pound load on this rim, we're dropping a 35 pound load, but we're measuring that peak force. We're measuring how much it hurts when you drop the bowling ball from a foot. That's the force that we're looking at. So this is literally the same amount of force that's creating two different deflections, which is really fascinating and highlights how the different rates at which you load an object has uh, impact on how that object deforms in the real world. And to add to that, um, we're also seeing different shapes to some of these curves. So loading something slowly, we can see nonlinear paths and linear. And then loading something dynamically, we're seeing different shapes to these curves. So if somebody thinks about I, as a rider, would put X amount of force uh, we'll stay with the 600 pound load. Uh, it could be different uh, for somebody that, like completely different for somebody that puts on 300 pounds. Like it's these are linear and nonlinear depending on the time and they can flip. And so some of that has been very interesting to see initially because I foolishly thought when I first got into this, I was like, ah, oh, well, the aluminum is going to be linear because right, aluminum, aluminum is, uh, you know, homogeneous, isotropic, like th this is going to, but there's more to it. Once again, taking into account this as a system. So spokes, hubs, lace up, and these things uh, moving um, with respect to each other is absolutely, uh, has different um, curves uh, along these force bands. Yeah. So an aluminum as a material shouldn't behave differently when we drop something fast or when we slowly squish it. But the fact that we're seeing those differences in curves, once again, really highlights that the material composition of the hoop does not dictate the performance that the rider's going to get on it. There's so much more that goes into it. Uh, counterintuitive for somebody who thinks about materials as being isotropic or non-isotropic or homogenous or inhomogenous. Yeah, those things. By the way, can I just can I just say, Travis, did you hear Greg like two minutes ago say aluminium? I was like, when Greg Greg is a real like Midwestern dude. I was like, that's the most Euro thing I've ever heard Greg like say sound like. 
Yeah, I, just, I quite enjoyed that. I don't think I missed that, Greg. I I, I was hoping that. you did miss it because I caught it. Yeah, and I was like, no man, shoot! Either I just watched too much Marvel, or traveling is catching up with me. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to ship you to the UK. You keep that kind of talk. Keep that. He's kind gonna of talk. start calling his backpack a rucksack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, gonna oh, that's rubbish. Drinking that's only rubbish tea too. Oh, all right. I enjoyed that. So. Next steps. Where are we going from here, Greg? Uh, obvious next step is to just continue to test more and different wheel sets and see if we can parse out any real trends because there hasn't been anything that's been a complete slam dunk. Like, oh, this is a two cross or a three cross pattern, or this is a J pole or a straight pole. So therefore it's going to act like this. And that I'm not saying that those trends aren't there or those parallels aren't there. We haven't been able to test enough wheel sets to really make any conclusive statements like that. So as we have dialed in um, the types of testing we want to do, as well as dialed in how we are measuring and quantifying the movement of the wheels and all of that. It's now time to start cranking through wheels and seeing, you know, what what can we infer from you know these these results, and then continuing to back out and analyze where and what uh, overlaid with these tests. Where would we put? Uh, different riders, because I think that's going to be a big value is, you know, we have some initial bins, I'll call them. And I keep getting back to uh, the charts you see from some of the major tire manufacturers that say, oh, if you know, this wheel and this wheel are really good for gravel over hard pack, or this is really, this wheel is really, or tire is really good for uh, muddy terrain. You know, and it would be amazing if it was that simple for wheel sets and it won't be that simple but i think we can create some bins that would say you know based off of your mass as a rider the type of trails you ride uh you know do you pick your lines or do you just smash through them what type of rider are you uh what force bands would you expect to put into these wheel sets and that will help overlaid uh, onto these graphs, I think that will really help. And so I think we continue to do more tests and I think we also continue to pull apart the field data and calibrate that with uh, kind of our rider sets that we have. Yeah, I think sometimes you just follow the data and that data is going to honestly and appropriately problematize the whole situation. And sometimes it's going to lead to clarifying conclusions that can allow us to make those recommendations and suggestions. And I mean, it's kind of the interesting part here is like, we aren't wheel manufacturers who simply have to go prove or convince riders that this next product is way better than anything they've ever seen before. And so, you know, um, we'll keep the work going see what we keep finding. And I, I'm particularly interested. I, I'm always interested, um, switching for a sec over to like thinking about ski testing, you know, um, by definition, most skiers are not the most aggressive people. They're not pushing skis and ski boots at a really high and hard level by definition. Right. 
And when we're talking about wheel sets, one of the things I'm still really curious about is if we can assume that a lot of people on bikes aren't pushing bikes that hard or as flow trails, if it's true that flow trails have become more popular in, let's just say, certain areas, if we're reducing, right, the the gnarliness of the trails themselves, if riders aren't pushing bikes and wheel sets all that hard, maybe we'll find that it actually doesn't make much difference. Or maybe we'll find some pr- surprising examples where there is quite a bit of difference for the quote-unquote average, not uber-aggressive biker. I guess we'll see. Yeah, and I think you can throw one more thing in there. Is bikes and suspension and geometry continue to improve mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I know the, you know, going down some of the tra- same trails I went down 20 years ago uh, on the bike that I have now, <laughs> I can ride those way differently, way faster. And it's not beating me up nearly as bad as it did 20 years ago. So I think there is a lot of information that can be incorporated into that. And going back to one of the first statements that Travis made is that, you know, when we were looking at this initially, we had as the stiffest wheel out there, we had carbon fiber. And as one of the softest wheels we have out there is carbon fiber. So as we start talking about this, it's what do you want out of your wheel set? And, you know, is it weight? Is it stiffness? Is it, you know, you know one of these other performance metrics that we're talking about? So it's not like you're going to get it a la carte. And be able to be like, I want this, this, and this, and then we're going to ring you up uh, on your way out. But it's like, I think there is a lot of good information out there that we're going to be able to parse out just based off of the fact that uh, we can run all these different tests. And hopefully from that, we're able to discern and you know decipher this to some digestible information. Travis, any parting thoughts? Yeah. I think the conclusions we're coming to is there's not one wheel set to rule them all. And if that's what you're looking for, then um, our our data, our results aren't for you. I know that going back to skis, because you brought up skis, Jonathan, I consider myself a decent skier and I would also consider myself an aggressive skier, but I've only ever skied one pair of skis. So <laughs> this type of testing for wheel sets uh, wouldn't help me much because I just want somebody to tell me the wheel set to use. And then at that point, if I don't try any other wheel sets, then I don't know what I'm missing. Um, but yeah, so uh, I want to be ignorant and blissful when it comes to my skis. However, for those of us who approach things more scientifically, like myself in this test development, uh, I think that we may not be able to give a consumer the right wheel for them, but we can say, here's the experience that you can expect to have on various wheel sets. And I think that's going to be a really exciting conclusion to the project is bringing together the rider's type, the rider's uh, morphology, their build what they like to ride and saying, okay, out of these rims, here's what you could expect to feel out of it. And it might be counterintuitive to what you thought from predisposition of opinions on carbon fiber versus aluminum. And I think this is meant to complement long form reviews, right? This isn't uh, uh, taking 
um, the place of any. So it's, you know, unfortunately, if you just wanted to go to, like Travis was saying, if you just want to go to one place and get the answer, um, more data isn't necessarily that for you. But if you do enjoy uh, riding, you've got some experience on wheels and you enjoy reading um, many of these reviews, this is going to be a good complement to those reviews because it's going to be able to help quantify some of the things that you've probably become familiar with, with the qualitative reviews. Uh, we're aligning a lot of our results with the terminology uh, that is being used, things like compliant, things like lively and poppy and all of that. What we're doing is we're aligning the quantitative results with that. So this will be a good complement to the already kind of in-depth reviews that are out there uh, on Blister Review. So it's one of those things where it's meant to be another piece to the puzzle, not the entire uh, box of puzzle pieces. I, I wanna push back, Travis, on one thing you've said, because this, this comes up a lot, I think, just in terms of like thinking about gear broadly and the kind of ignorance is bliss argument. <laughs> when you're like, Travis is a good skier, but he, when he's like, look, I, I I like one ski, I've been on that ski, I like to sort of not know what I'm missing, but <laughs> yeah. I, I talk about this a lot. I see people all the time in lift lines, or I'll be riding a chairlift and see them skiing something maybe often off-piste, and they mm -hmm. are on, say, a 75 millimeter wide, often rental ski with a very flat tail. <laughs> And they cannot ski it at all or make that ski work in punchy snow or in deeper snow. And if they were like, well, you know, I just, I just, I just go to the rental shop. I get the cheapest thing and I don't know any better. And so ignorance is bliss. But like Travis, you and mm. I know that mm. in that instance, they could be having a better day, probably actually a safer day. And so... Now, when we move to something like wheel sets, we might think, well, okay, but you know, all wheels are round. And so maybe we wanna say there's perhaps some like less difference or that the, the difference might be less pronounced on a 75 millimeter wide, you know, ski with a flat tail being used by, you know, not an advanced skier off piste or actually also an advanced skier off piste. But even with the wheel set, I mean, if you have the bike long enough, you might have to upgrade your wheel set or you're going to sell that bike and buy something else. And I think that for those of us who do this stuff, eventually you're going to be pushed toward a new piece of gear or a gear decision. And that's where I think some of this gets like really does come into play. And I, you know, one of the things I'm thinking about, I now, because of stupid Greg, like I'm running, <laughs> I'm running Asagai front and rear and I, and I love them. The traction is incredible. And every time I'm climbing, I'm like, this is not the most efficient tire that I could be on right now, but I'm not really willing just yet to give those up, but I'm aware mm -hmm. of the compromises. Right. And I, and that's yes. one of the things that I'm hoping to help, uh, people understand better, um, you know, if it's like, look, if you're, I don't know, I'm making this up, but if you're not that punishing on a bike, turns out maybe you can get away with a much lighter wheel set than you thought possible. 
I don't know, mm-hmm. right? But this is where I think it always kind of ends up coming back to mattering <laughs> mm-hmm. in a certain way. Um, those are my thoughts on this. Greg yeah. <laughs> or Travis? No, I that <laughs> well, we've been Greg and I have been working on some house projects, and mm-hmm. uh, in in the past, I would think when it comes to a heavy thing, I don't need to ask for help. I'm just going to try harder. Or when it comes to mountain biking uh-huh. and different tires of like, yeah, I could get a more efficient tire for going uphill or I could just be better. Mm-hmm. Um, starting to realize that maybe this isn't the right approach to life <laughs> and that we should take some time to ask for help to lift the heavy thing. Or maybe we should get a more efficient tire for going uphill and I don't need to just be better and more mm-hmm. fit. I can lean on some of the resources that are available. So my, yeah, my statement of like just one, one ski to rule them all, which I still stand by, but maybe the one ski that is ruling them all isn't the right ski to rule them all. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe I need to rethink things and not think I'll just get better and compensate for whatever deficiencies the gear is laying upon me. So yeah, maybe that's like the young Travis thought of, I'm just going to be better uh-huh. and you're convincing me that new travis should be a little more thoughtful <laughs> greg we're giving you the last word uh you're welcome on the acid mm. guy traction mm-hmm. i mean it's amazing obviously it's you amazing. owe me on that I do. yeah and it sounds like you're using it as an excuse for yep. your uphill speed <laughs> yep. so you're welcome on that yep. also but i agree with travis um and you that as we start to see what we want out of our gear, there is a lot of gear available. And so as you ride more, the cool thing about that is you start to learn what you like and what you dislike. And that's when reviews and data actually come into the fold and start making sense because you can be like, I rode that and I liked that, or I did, or I didn't like that, or I liked this aspect of it. Um, and then that gives you kind of empowers you to make better decisions because we're doing this for fun. So the, you know, the better we are at it, the more fun we're having, the faster we get to go and safer we are, the better this is for everybody. So hopefully that gives some people some food for thought as they start looking at this information and being like, oh, that makes a little bit of sense. Yeah. And I mean, I will say that during this process, like we will be learning more, testing more, all of that in the interim people do have the option to become a blister member and you can send us an email if you're thinking okay i just listened to these folks and now wheel sets seem even more confusing than ever before and i would actually like some uh expertise in terms of helping me figure out what might be a wise purchase um become a blister member send us an email we will hook you up with our bike editors. They're very good and very helpful along these lines. And um, we've been helping people along those lines for many, many years and from all around the world. But we're all excited here to keep seeing what our engineering folks are learning and teaming this up and marrying it all and combining it together. And we'll just keep, um, you know, we'll just keep seeing uh, where the data leads us. So, um, and so uh, I think that's actually the way it should be. I'm getting nods. Agreed. I'm getting nods from Travis and Greg. Um, 
<laughs> well, gentlemen, thank you. It is always fun and um, look forward to um, seeing more results, testing more wheels. And I do think that, I mean, this is how it goes. I think we'll start speeding up uh, some of these results here and um, keep rolling it out as promised. So um, thank you both for the work. Thanks, of course, to all the students involved on this work and um, look forward to more updates down the line. Yep, we'll keep them rolling. All right, guys, thank you. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. All righty, see ya. Well, that's it for this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to Greg and Travis for the conversation. And I told you we will include links to our previous Gear 30 conversations with Greg and Travis. We'll also include a link to the Blister Labs information and various write-ups that we have done on the Blister website. So if you really want to get brought up to speed on all things Blister Labs, well, just follow the link. All right, everybody, have a great weekend, and we will talk to you real soon.